Alright, you primitive screwheads, listen up. It's a good thing is on our side for now. And welcome to Two Nerdskis and a Podcast, the show where two nerdskis come together and talk about everything that's pop culture entertainment. This is Eric. And this is Jeff. And welcome to our final installment of our look into the legendary monster verse leading up to our series uh, look at Godzilla versus Kong, which is as of this recording is only several weeks away and i cannot wait to see this motherfucker so in the meantime we are here to discuss in my opinion one of the most fun movies i've seen in quite some time but before we get there jeff how are you doing cannot complain man can not freaking complain yeah it's funny we were reminiscing right before we recorded this about um one of our favorite stores is unfortunately closing down and it kind of sucks because, you know, I, I, I remember I have some photos going through my phone of some of the, of some of the fun times we, we had in there. And I remember you and I would just case up and down the store quite a bit like our other store, Dimple. May that store rest in peace. Um, but yeah, some fun memories going there. Um, yeah. I mean, the pandemic was just the final nail in the coffin, but unfortunately, you know, this day age like most people are just buying their shit off the internet but which which is inevitable but um yeah life can as we say life can always be better but um you just gotta move on and hope for the best as they say but um i don't think that pertains to anything i just fucking said but okay um <clears throat> jeff what is today's installment well, today we are talking about the 2019 film Godzilla King of the Monsters. The most divisive film in the entire monsterverse. Some people absolutely love this movie. Some people hate this movie. And some are just square in the middle. And just don't have an opinion regardless. So I'm curious what your opinion was, even though you kind of dropped that little bombshell just about a minute ago. So this buildup is completely fucking pointless. <laughs> uh, Eric, what, what did you think? Um. Okay. I'll, I'll be honest with you. This is one hell of a time. And I am one of those people who acknowledges what it is and I don't fucking care. It's that fucking awesome. And I had a great time watching it because <laughs> I, I remember I remember my I remember seeing this movie in theaters. This was like two years ago and um, it was one hell of a blast seeing it in theaters with a whole bunch of people. And then like everyone just like going, fuck, yeah, right, left and right. And um, I remember at one point. 
they saw well, we'll get, well I'll, i guess i'll get into that later but yeah i just i do remember the movie going experience was it was still great but like there's like this one moment unfortunately there's this guy with us who was unfortunately really drunk and like he got really disruptive quite a bit but it didn't i mean it really didn't take from the overall movie going experience but god damn it did i enjoy loving watching the ever loving fuck out of this movie it is um it's something that i would just <laughs> you just need to shut your brain you appreciate for what it is and yet you just shut your brain off and it's not like kong skull island where you can just like it's background noise no you actually enjoy watching what's on screen <laughs> and um they're actually there's actually a lot of uh good things going for it in my opinion but um i'm gonna stop gushing over it so that we can like actually take a whole episode to discuss this but so jeff um what do you think of godzilla king of the monsters so in uh when uh when dissecting godzilla 2014 it uh i definitely got the impression that that movie was trying to create the sense of what the original uh what the original gojira was trying to create that sense of grounded uh dread that uh that kind of orients that <laughs> god damn it <laughs> that uh that kind of absorbs around the destruction of of this monster and even though in in the end godzilla turned out to be the hero the uh the way the destruction was depicted was still in a very grounded realm and i think in terms of what it was trying to do there it for the most part succeeded however in terms of recreating the feel of a classic Godzilla movie, the type of Godzilla that that I would say the uh, that the common viewing public has a more wider perception of. This is more of what I'm looking for because it was already crazy that we were getting a brand new Godzilla movie uh, made in the United States at all. It's even crazier. To not only get a sequel, but to get a sequel that not only includes a brilliant, uh, we'll definitely talk about this later, uh, but a brilliant uh, recreation of uh, Akira Akira Fukabe. I fucked that up. Akira (laughs) Afukabe's brilliant original score. Akira Ifukube. Yeah. Sorry. This is what happens when you take three semesters of Japanese, but go ahead. (laughs) and uh you you fucked up my whole spiel (laughs) i think what Um, jeff's trying to say is that like okay i got this i got this uh so (laughs) so uh so not only getting the classic version of the our, our brilliant new rendition of the godzilla theme which has never been adapted into any form of american godzilla cinema and you also have mothra rodan and king Ghidorah, and being that i grew up on uh i mean i grew up on pretty much all eras excuse me uh i grew up on all eras of godzilla and this one felt like a big budget adaptation of a showa godzilla movie 
and that is the cheesiest uh, era of Godzilla movies for sure. But those are the ones that also most prominently show these uh, uh, show these specific creatures off. And it's really fascinating to see a movie like this not only get made, but to have all these individual creatures that have been icons of cinema for decades and to see them get uh, get this new treatment but they're all done respectfully and what i what i will say is that uh all the monsters that are adapted are treated with the utmost care attention to detail and respect uh rodan is uh you know has a very similar uh origin but is uh you know he's still very menacing being uh you know emerging from a volcano that's badass in itself and i love uh that they give him this kind of conniving smirk on his face and uh that whole sequence of uh of him going after all the jet planes that's kind of a uh, that that's basically a giant tip tip of the hat to the original Rodan film, and uh, and that in the original movie that was kind of an overly ambitious effects sequence. Uh, you know, having Rodan trying to chase down all these fighter jets, and you know, in the original film, it's it it gets the job done, but you can definitely see the limitations of the effects. But in a two hundred plus million dollar movie. It looks pretty solid, and uh, I love that one little scene of the uh, when the pilot tries to tries to eject from his seat, and then Rodan just gobbles him <laughs> up. Or that uh, that other scene where uh, uh, one of the one of the planes tries to maneuver out of the way, and then Rodan just has this evil smirk on his face and does a barrel roll. Shit's fantastic. And uh, going on to to Mothra, Mothra while getting the least amount of screen time, I think uh, this movie captured the essence of of that character. I mean, for one, uh, having the actual Mothra theme implemented, wonderful. And to, uh, to have Mothra just be this beautiful, graceful creature, and uh, even having subtle, uh, subtle hints that the, uh, the little twin fairies could be involved in some way. I I, I really liked that little uh, tip of the hat right there. But Ghidorah. Ghidorah is so fucking good. Because this was the character that they needed to get right. And I loved Ghidorah in this movie. He is intimidating. He's scary. He truly feels godlike. Feels like a true, uh, like a true alpha adversary to Godzilla. And on his very first introduction, you know this guy is not fucking around. And I, ugh, I ugh, goddamn, I love Ghidorah. Okay, so I, I think you're getting. <laughs> I, I I I get that you're really impassioned about this, but I think you're getting a little too ahead on like a lot of these monsters. And I think we should, we'll definitely elaborate on them more, but 
you know, they're not the only stars in this movie. So yeah, they are. Let's be real. Okay. Yes, yes, they are. But here's something that I would like to bring up. So we've mentioned this in the past two episodes that the human characters are kind of not really, they're all kind of like there. They're really just kind of plot devices here. You actually have some human characters that actually, (laughs) that actually I kind of gave a shit about this time around. It wasn't just one character. It wasn't like just uh, John C. Riley and Kong Skull Island as a World War II pilot trapped on Skull Island. And it wasn't just a 30-minute cameo by Brian Cranston. And God damn it, Brian Cranston could have easily fixed Godzilla 2014 if he was still in that movie a lot longer. But oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm kind of done arguing about that shit. But okay. But my point still is. Um, to not talk about the improvement, I think, of some of the human characters is a lot better, is, is much better than the human characters previously established, previously shown in the previous movie. So um, we mentioned that Kyle Chandler is in this uh, in this movie in our last episode, and I, I found it interesting that Kyle Chandler, you had mentioned this to me, that Kyle Chandler was also in Kong's, it was also in the 20... 20- in the 2005 King Kong movie. And I com- I had completely forgotten he was in that movie, or at least I don't remember. And I'm like, huh. So he comes back full circle to do some more monster stuff. And um, I actually understand <laughs> he actually has a character. Yes, it's a very stereotypical character, but at least I can give a shit about him. Um, his wife, Emma, uh, well, first of all, yeah, his character is Mark. Um an animal behavior and communication specialist. His wife is a paleobiologist with a history of environmental activism. At least I get her motivations, and at least I get the motivations of their daughter, Madison, played by Eleven, a.k.a. Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things. Um, <laughs> yeah, I at least actually get the motivations for a lot of these characters. I actually give a shit to an extent. And, of course, we have the ever-great Ken Watanabe back as Dr. Ishiro Sarazawa, um, who I always find ironic um, because originally Sarazawa in the original Godzilla film, he's more, he creates the oxygen destroyer that create, that kills Godzilla. In this movie, he sets off, he kills himself and sets off a nuke that revitalizes Godzilla. I find it a weird twisted. I find it a weird uh, sense of irony in that case, but yeah, there are actual human characters. I give a shit around and, um, as much as I would like to talk about the monsters, and believe me, we'll get more on them, um, even past the descriptions Jeff talked about, but I think it would be a disservice if we didn't at least talk about some of the human characters in this. So, Jeff, how do you feel about some of the human characters in this? They're fine. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in uh, Kong Skull Island, I the characters pretty much... Pretty much 90% of them were just complete background noise. Uh, you know, you didn't really... I mean, I I couldn't tell you who Tom Hiddleston's character name was or Brie Larson or an, anyone. I could not identify a single character. Uh, but uh, however, in this movie, there's at least... I, I at least can see the attempt to make these relatable and likable characters. And there's at least the the general attempt to create 
backstory to make you in, to engage you to actually enhance the experience of the movie. I think it falls short, but I at least admire I, I admire the attempt at at least. And I I like a lot of these actors. Uh, I mean, Kyle Chandler, I think, is terrific in pretty much everything I've ever seen him in. Uh, Vera Farmiga is fantastic. Like Bates Motel it is one of the best shows out there, I think. Uh, incredibly underrated. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big, I'm not as big on Stranger Things, but I mean, Millie Bobby Brown is undeniably a, a, a decent actress, uh, especially for her for her young young age. And I mean, Ken Watanabe is a fucking legend, uh, so it's wonderful to see him back. Uh, it's kind of crazy that they uh, that they reduce Sally Hawkins to this nothing role like after she wins an Oscar. I'm pretty sure she won the Oscar uh, for Shape of Water. Um, That's right. She made that movie right before this. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess that's about it. Oh, I will will say uh, while I didn't. um, The one character in here was I thought was in fucking sufferable. And uh, what's uh, I think the actor's name is. Bradley. Is it Thomas Middle? Is it Thomas Middletitch? <laughs> no, it wasn't even him. It was uh the the silver haired dude with the Oh, body. Bradley Whitford as Rick Stanton. <laughs> I couldn't fucking stand him. <laughs> well, it's probably because his character is based around he I guess he said according to this Wikipedia, he said that oh no, I guess the director confirmed that his character is kind of loosely modeled after Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. And I know you haven't seen that show, so maybe you should probably watch that sh- show to get an idea. Um but um yeah, not all. I mean, not, yes, Jeff is correct. Not all the human characters are great, but for the ones that are important that you actually do care about, yeah, you care about them quite a bit. And um, I, I, I like the attempt that definitely there is more care to like actually giving a lot of these characters more motivation. So, go. So, Doctor. So the Russell family, like, so. The very beginning of Gods of King of the Monsters starts with the climax of twenty of the twenty fourteen movie. So they're all in San Francisco, and I think it's I don't remember what the what their uh, son's name is, but they lose their son unfortunately in the in the giant um, attack on San Francisco, uh, which is uh, highly unfortunate. Um, like to lose a child to something like that, and then you learn you you eventually learn the reasons why. Um, this happens. I mean, why? No, why? Um, Emma Russell. So spoilers. Emma Russell, um, is using, um, is you think that Kyle Chandler? So Kyle, obviously, Kyle Chandler's character Mark, he's the character that is uh, vindictive against Godzilla for the death of his son. But it turns out it's his wife who really wants to destroy the world so that the Titans can, um, restore it or whatnot. But um, she does it. I mean, her her intentions are good, but unfortunately, she chose the wrong side <laughs> at this point. And then uh, Millie Bobby Brown, um, she she plays the daughter who's just um, trying to do the best she can and uh, uh, a little rebellious, a little rebellious. Um, but uh, I <laughs> seeing a seeing an Ice Cube's kid. Uh, uh, in this movie was pretty awesome. I won't lie, even though he's kind of a one note character, but 
well, well, like I said in the uh, in the Kong Skull Island episode, you know, you got to round out the entire cast of Straight Outta Compton. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because um, oh, speaking of speaking of which, so this is the first time, other than um, so we got other than characters from the original Godzilla 2014 movie, you actually have. So I saw that Joe Morton, I wasn't sure who he was playing, but apparently he's playing Corey Hawkins character, like an older version of Corey Hawkins character from Kong Skull Island. I didn't realize that at first. Um, and then he'll, later, he'll always be Miles Dyson from uh, Terminator 2, right? Miles Bennett Dyson. <laughs> now, listen to me very... development system. <laughs> now listen to me very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> And then you have, I don't, and then um, I know she's only in it for like that one scene, but I always enjoy seeing CCH Pounder. Um, she, she's like one of the centers in that monarch hearing. And um, I've always enjoyed her and like all the stuff that she's in. I mean, if anyone's seen a little cartoon series called Justice League Unlimited, she voices Amanda Waller in that show. And God damn it, like she brings her A game to that series. Um, so, so yeah. Again, like solid act, like great actors all around. Uh, not all of them are are like characters you care about, but um, yeah, I think I think that this time around they actually really gave an attempt to like really uh, give you more solid like characters to care about, and I do appreciate them for doing that. Um, the plot of this movie is pretty stereotypical, in my opinion, but it's as Jeff said, it's. It feels more like Showa era plot, and um, I like I like the the idea of this. So it's that um, so like there's this rogue like eco terrorist group running around, um, plotting to bring back this monster to restore balance. And the monster they bring back is Monster Zero, but we all know him better as King Ghidorah, <laughs> and um, uh, it, it like. I, 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 there's a lot of things I checked marked off when I was watching this movie. And so, um, for me, the biggest one is when Emma like contacts Monarch, right. And she's given this, she's giving this fucking speech I've heard and so many things. Humanity is a plague. And so by releasing the Titans, they will therefore restore balance. And all I did in my head was check mark humanity as a disease. And there you go. <laughs> I'm like, yep, they they fucking did that shit, and uh, yes, <laughs> and um, here's he, let's let's and yeah, there is that. So um, there's also another character I want to point out, and Jeff hinted at him. So that you have Zhang Zi, she plays Doctor Lian Chen and Doctor Ling. Um, they're twins, and Jeff mentioned earlier that. They're a nice nod to the Mothra. Um, I call them the Mothra twins, but they're the twins that show up from Infant Island, right? Yes. That's yeah, right, right. So, um, I like that they throw that nod in there. Um, for whatever reason, um, for whatever reason, I thought that they may have been related to a previous character, but um, it turned out not to be the case. I, it's just a nice nod to the original like twins. So I, I like that. Um, uh, again, I think everyone does. Everyone has great performances. They're just, um, you know, they're just there to serve a purpose except for a few, but that's, that's my little side on the human characters. So, well, so let's, I, I, I will say, uh, I definitely, 
I definitely get the uh, the impression that uh, with uh, when Gareth Edwards was uh, was directing uh, was directing Godzilla 2014, I can tell that he was definitely a fan of the character of Godzilla and cared about how uh, how he was depicting it. With Michael Doherty, I I get the impression that he's more of uh, more of like the fan of uh, cheesy Godzilla. And that's not a bad thing at all because the, uh, I don't know. Like I, when I watch this movie, I feel like, I feel like a hardcore fan is behind the camera. I would, I would agree with that because, um, let's just go right into it. Um, we talked about the human characters, but let's just get right into the plot and right into those fucking monsters. The real star of this, the real stars of this movie. So, um, so the first monster we see outside of Godzilla is Mothra. And I like how she's introduced into this movie. Um, they start her off in the larva state. And um, that was brilliant. Um, I noticed too that like, um, it looks like she's killing everyone. But if you really think about it, no, she's not. She's she's not. She doesn't really kill anyone. She just like spider webs them or just throws them in webs. And that's about it. She's not really... She's she's by far one of the more benevolent creatures in the series. Um, really does care about humanity, and she, they have a weird. She has an interesting relationship with Godzilla. <laughs> I liked I liked the conversation between Oshia Jackson and Thomas Middleich. Their characters are like so. Godzilla and Mothra, they're a thing. Like, how does that fucking work? <laughs> it's it's a weird inner. It's like a weird interspecies thing. Um, is what he thinks but it's like no it's just a it's just a symbiosis um but that's that's not uncommon in a lot of species um and then i wasn't really too familiar with rodan um i'm glad that jeff was able to provide more some more insight um but yeah so i obviously i didn't see the only monster movies i've seen from japan are really pretty much all the godzilla movies plus super sentai and ultraman but that's about it but um but yeah so really uh rodan was he really born out of a volcano i I didn't really know this uh let's see it's been a while since i've seen the original film um so from what i remember the uh uh rodan basically or actually in the original movie there were uh, there were two rodans and they uh they they hatched out of these eggs that were uh discovered deep in this uh uh deep in this place where i think a bunch of miners were and uh i believe that there were there was lava around it around it to kind of uh heat the egg up to to let them hatch mm-hmm. uh but i i could be getting this dead wrong so anyone more familiar with uh, with that movie off the top of your head uh Tell me how wrong I am in the comments. <laughs> if anyone's if anyone's watching this or listening to this on the on our YouTube, um, yeah, please leave a leave some comments and give us some more clarity on this. It would definitely help. Yeah, um, um yeah, try to try to keep the get to the fucking points uh, comments <laughs> at minimum. <laughs> we, we know we know we're trying, <laughs> and uh, uh, so well, it's not like a a flawless uh adaptation of uh you know of every creature's origin it's 
it gets the it, it, it gets the essentials down. Yeah, basically. I, I would agree. Yeah. And I uh, because I I mean this is coming from someone that at one point owned every single film on uh, on VHS and DVD, and so I've I watched every movie multiple times, and I I. I think I have like a, a decent understanding of how these creatures are normally portrayed. Uh, and so whenever a new iteration is being released, I think I can kind of give a general idea of if they're being uh, portrayed accurately. And in this case, all the monsters are done perfectly. I, I would say, uh, I like how they are all given chance their own little individual moments to to shine and stand out uh, when they when they need to look grandiose they're able to when they need to look intimidating they are they truly feel like these godlike titans and even though the origin surrounding uh, surrounding Godzilla is uh, is not the traditional uh, nuclear fallout uh, that uh, that the original was uh, uh, that that the original film portrayed, it still creates an interesting mythology because I I like that every one of these monsterverse movies are introducing another piece of the uh, another piece of the puzzle when it comes to to their mythology and backstory for this uh, for how the world was once overrun uh was once dominated by these titans and mm-hmm. they're all gradually re-emerging and trying to uh become one with, one with the planet again and i like i do like how godzilla and Ghidorah have this unfinished uh rival battle for dominance and how uh because for one i think that gives that context gives that first uh that first meeting between Godzilla and Ghidorah a little more weight how how they're staring each other down where it's uh I kind of get the impression that Godzilla's just thinking this motherfucker again <laughs> and um and yeah and I will say the uh I do admittedly have a little, little bit of a complaint and I know that they say it's uh, it's part of uh, the, you know, because of how large Ghidorah is that there's all these storms and everything that are created around his presence, basically. But that also means that whenever Ghidorah is around, the, uh, there's always a shitload of storms. And that, once again, gives a kind of obstructed view. And it's a little frustrating because that was a, uh, that was a common complaint around the first movie, but Kong Skull Island instantly fixed that, you know, the, the entire final climax was in broad daylight. You were able to see everything and take it all in. But in this movie, it's gone back to, uh, to dark, uh, to darkness and rain. And it's not as, it's a little, better than the 2014 movie because at least 
this movie has a brighter color palette than the 2014 movie. So you're able to, yeah, I was going to say you're able to observe the action a little better, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's one of those things where the first time you see it, you may not really care that much, but once someone points it out, you kind of can't unsee it because every, uh, pretty much every past encounter that Godzilla has faced Ghidorah, it's for the most part in broad daylight. So all these, uh, so the the thing about the weather conditions surrounding him, it uh, that's definitely a new element to Ghidorah, and it's not a bad idea for uh, uh, not not a bad idea for an addition to him, uh, because you know sometimes it makes him look terrifying, because there was that uh, that scene where the the big not shield aircraft carrier is flying uh is flying through with rodan <laughs> and uh and then once they once they're in Ghidorah's uh 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 what's the fucking word uh line of view <laughs> you just <laughs> it's late when we're recording this i'm tired <laughs> and then you just see a few zaps of lightning and you just you see his you see like one head light up at a time that shit is so great like some of the imagery in this movie is just out fucking standing oh my god so i think cinematography so here's here's we mentioned i don't know if we met we mentioned in the previous two episodes that like the cinematography i feel like has been pretty on point and here like there are moments like where you can just take a freeze frame and just like mount it as wallpaper on your computer. And so, so let's, let's get into some of this. Um, I was just going to mention going back a bit. Um, you mentioned how Godzilla's origins is a little bit different this time around. And I, I actually, I actually really liked it quite a bit because, um, because like, I like the idea that like Godzilla is still a creature of radiation, but he's from an era like from a a mil like an era when the earth was still like millions of was like still in its infancy and everything was still like in radiation and so like he's he's like a creature from like like almost the era of the dinosaurs or maybe even older and like he um like he he's still around because all that inner radiation was built up in him um i i do like that idea but and he, but it still works because he's like i say he's still a creature of um of radiation uh, or radiation cautiousness and whatnot and uh he's now just a giant apex predator and a god and uh, you still like shut the fuck up or are lost in like <laughs> like your voice is pretty much like non-existent whenever he shows up because you are in the presence of a god um and I like that. Uh, I like that he has this like symbiosis like relationship with uh, Mothra, and um, I like. I like for the most part how um, not only do we get the classic creatures, we also get some new creatures in this movie. And um, um, obviously, you have this weird like crab-like creature. You have this. You have what's called, I guess, the behemoth that runs around that walks around. It's like a giant gorilla slash mammoth or whatnot and i remember the first time i saw that in theaters <laughs> there were a couple there was a couple guys like a few rows back from me and they were all like what in the fuck is that 
Because, like, again, like, I like how, like... any more monsters. We had to make our own. Yeah, right? (laughs) But I do... But, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. Because, like, you mentioned how, like, in the previous installment, how, like, Hollywood has kind of, like, just been unoriginal with creating new monsters. And, like, here, I'm seeing creatures that, like, see, I would love to have seen more of this behemoth-like creature, this woolly mammoth creature, like, in action. I kind of wanted to see more of that. Uh less of a crab creature and then there's like this weird creature that shows up from europe or whatnot um that was like masquerading or that was that was hidden underneath a uh i guess a mountain the entire time um i would like to see more of that like a lot of these new creatures that are show up like i would have loved to have seen how they were like how they interact maybe we'll get more of that in uh, godzilla versus kong that'd be interesting to see but i like how they're you know, creating more mythos, elaborating, elaborating on like how classic uh, Godzilla creature or classic Toho creatures show up and how like they're creating creatures unique to the, the monster verse that opens up more of the world and whatnot. Um, I appreciate more of the attempt going there. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, but yes, yeah, so I, 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 I definitely, uh, I, I appreciate the, the wider variety of monsters and, you know, part of me wishes that, oh man, I wish uh, they could br- include monsters like uh, like Anguirus or uh, or even just like go go obscure, like like get some of the get some of the, you know, random, uh, you know, lesser known monsters, uh, monsters in there. But at the same time, I know that Toho is notorious for being legally protective of all of their assets uh, because when it comes to uh, when it comes to bringing any kind of Godzilla character over to the, to the U.S., they fuck it up. Well, every every monster has its own individual license. So in mm. order to make this movie, uh, so in order for King of the Monsters to get made uh, the way they intended, they had to secure the the complete rights to for Mothra, Rodan, and Ghidorah. Uh, you know, because it was already difficult just getting Godzilla in in itself. So I I think that's why uh that's why there were no additional monsters uh or additional uh Toho monsters in Godzilla 2014 because I think they were kind of using that as a testing ground. If this is successful, then we can trust them with more of our IPs. And I'm hoping that if more of these movies get made, then uh, then other monsters can can start to uh, can start being brought over. Uh, because for one, I I don't know the plot of Godzilla versus Kong. Well, no one does. All we know is I, that they're going to fight, and that's it. But I I hope that uh, I definitely hope that movie keeps uh, keeps monsters like Rodan around because. My God, we now have an opportunity for Rodan and Kong to fight, and I want to see that shit. That would be pretty fucking awesome to see. Um, I was thinking, you know, what I was thinking of. I first saw him in that like New Millennium series, or um, I don't know if it was Giant Monsters All Attack, but like that giant purple-looking dinosaur creature. I was thinking of. Um, oh, do you know uh... the one? uh baragon yeah it was a baragon i was just thinking like what if we see like a giant purple 
like Americanized version of that creature show up and it gets well because well Baragon wasn't purple, it was kind of tannish. Um because I feel there was a purplish monster on no, there. No, yeah, there is a purplish monster. I'm not yeah, anyone, I'm if you're listening to this on YouTube, if you're listening to this on YouTube, please give us the name of that creature. Or I'll find it up later and I'll and I'll mention it in the next episode. <laughs> um, but then I'll feel like a dipshit. <laughs> but but yeah, um, I really like how they incorporate the monsters. And you know what? For the monsters that they show, they all get a, a certain amount. Even even though like Godzilla and King Ghidorah, they get most of the screen time, and Mothra and Rodan don't get as much. At least Rodan and Mothra are treated respectfully with their screen time. I mean. Unfortunately, um, spoilers, Mothra dies, but like Mothra dies in almost every movie she's fucking in, <laughs> for God's sakes. Um, and at least Rodan is at least Rodan isn't treated like a joker or whatnot. Maybe I, I don't I don't recall how I don't I haven't seen enough of Rodan, but um, but at least the monsters that are on screen here, like they're all treated with equal respect. And as Jeff mentioned, like they had to get Ghidorah right because Ghidorah is, you know, one of the biggest villains of all the Toho uh series of films well, and one, um, he's, he's also godzilla's most icon iconic enemy mm-hmm. you know it's uh you know it's i would say it's equivalent to uh to batman fighting the joker you know it's, right it's the first thing that you uh you know when you picture godzilla fighting i would say one of the first things to come to mind is the image of godzilla fighting a three-headed dragon awkward silence <laughs> but no you're all right yeah because because i mean like i mean we'll find well we're going to talk about godzilla final wars at some point but it does t- it, it they do reveal that Ghidorah is really the the real villain of the real final villain of that movie right because a movie no of godzilla final what of final wars yeah oh yeah yeah because i mean because you can't I mean, think about it. You can't have a giant Godzilla movie like that. That's supposed to be the end of all Godzilla movies without his final real main arch nemesis in there to begin with. And um, yeah, I got um, Kidora is quite the presence in this. I like the way that um, he's like created and how he's um, how his person. He has a very interesting personality. I find like I, I actually had to look up his like, gojipedia wiki or whatnot and i i did not realize that like apparently the heads have names <laughs> so there's each he's the middle head he's the most dominant and intelligent seeming head of the three you have Ni, who is the uh most irritable and aggressive and then you have kevin <laughs> yeah. i didn't i didn't understand i didn't real. i didn't know that he was called kevin this entire time but um yeah kevin's just an idiot from what i understand but um but I was also really surprised because I someone had pointed this out to me um, that, um, or I guess reading the wiki article that apparently this Ghidorah, um, everything he does is with intent, and like so when he kills uh, Sally Hawkins' character, it's because he actually uh, revels in it, and like he didn't have to kill those like soldiers; he did it because he liked it, which is surprising because like not a lot, not a lot of these monsters don't really show like emotions like that. Ghidorah really seems to be the one creature 
maybe Kong too, but then again, Kong is a giant, giant uh, primate, and um, primates are you know closer to humans. But like for a giant, for a creature like Ghidorah, I was quite surprised to see him have this kind of range of uh, emotions, kind of. And I was, yeah, I was very quite surprised by that. Oh yeah, with um, I mean, I would say with uh, when it comes to Ghidorah, the um, the way that they basically portray him is just pure unadulterated evil. Because uh, mm-hmm. the only the only time that they uh, portrayed him in a positive light was in uh, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters, All Out Attack. Yeah, that that's the real fucking title. <laughs> uh, and uh, but yeah, in uh, in this movie pure evil that uh, there's that great shot where uh where after uh he grows one of his heads back and just roars on top of the volcano with uh with the cross in the foreground that that i think says it all you know just this <laughs> he literally is the devil oh well, yeah like basically this uh this hell spawn uh just coming out of the uh you know with the lava raining down and everything it emphasizes how truly otherworldly and evil this uh, this thing is and and i will uh i will say the uh the utilization of the oxygen destroyer it feels super rushed because that uh i mean that was the most important plot device in the in the original film and you know because that those were uh, a majority of the, uh, you know the scientific morality undertones were really uh, were really implemented, and what kind of gave the movie uh, its identity. You know it was there was the whole debate of well I you know we have this incredible technology, but it can be you know. I don't think the world should know about this because if it gets in the wrong hands, you know, that was the original Sirizawa's entire uh, uh, character arc. And the fact that, uh, you know, if you watch the original movie, he sacrifices himself using his own creation uh, of the oxygen destroyer to kill Godzilla. And so it's this iconic piece that served an extremely important purpose of that original movie. And in this, it just uh, the military dude from the first Godzilla movie shows up and just says, literally just pops up on the screen and says, hey, we have an oxygen destroyer and we're going to use it right now. So get out. And then it's used. And then Godzilla's brought back like 20 minutes later. And so that felt very. It does really. It does feel shoehorned in, doesn't it? Just for the sake of the plot. it does, and I feel if you were going to implement the oxygen destroyer, it should have served a much bigger purpose because that kind of felt like that kind of felt like cheap fan service in a way, mm-hmm. uh, because only only nerds like me would uh, would be able to know exactly what that is, and and so I don't know. I, I felt that that whole. Uh, plot line of having to revive Godzilla hardcore it uh, I don't think you really needed it especially because Godzilla gets that major uh, spiritual boost from Mothra later on when she sacrifices herself so I don't think 
I mean, it led to to one of the most visually uh, awesome scenes in the whole movie where Godzilla, you know, rises out of the ocean with the with the theme playing and then you know, breathes his atomic breath into the sky like that. That shit looks great. And, and it's a great screensaver. It absolutely is. And uh, so, I mean, and so the scene it leads up to is, is wonderful. You know, the uh, the image of Godzilla literally getting a military escort to fight Ghidorah. Fucking awesome. Uh, but I do feel uh, around that that 20 minute section of the movie could have been retooled and uh you know if you make a few tweaks it could have shaved a few minutes uh off of this movie to help help it feel a little more a little tighter and a little more uh a little more streamlined Mm -hmm. well going back to Ghidorah real quick um I I was curious if you knew more a little bit more insight on him I only know just a little bit based upon what some of the movies I've seen, but like um, Ghidorah. So they mentioned in this movie that like the reason why he seems so like he is the way he is because he's actually an extraterrestrial alien from outer space. Um, was that true based upon the original stories or the original movies or so Ghidorah, um, uh, Ghidorah has kind of had uh, multiple origins, but the, uh, the most common one was that uh, that he was an alien and especially in the um, in the Showa era he was mostly uh, mostly controlled by uh, by some form of an alien race and mm. whenever he was you know like I said he was uh, uh, he was mostly under under the control of another entity but here they uh, they retain the alien element of his origin but uh, but they just portray him as pure evil and just doing it because eh, fuck it. I can. I think in this case that makes him the best version of King Ghidorah probably put on film because yes, he is from outer space. So they kept that part, but the fact that he's just a malevolent, like evil, uh, Titan probably makes him the best version of the character by far. Um, at least for me. Um, and I, uh, I will say there was a. I noticed this one little shot of uh, of Ghidorah that made me smile so fucking hard. It was it was this blink and you'll miss it little moment where they're uh, they're in the uh, they're in the helicopter flying away uh, shortly after Avira Farmiga takes uh, takes the Orca and uh, you know tries to. Uh, distract Ghidorah, uh, aka the MacGuffin of this movie. <laughs> yes, and just this—it's uh, like right after he shoots uh, his electrical beam, and the car flips over, and just the way you see Ghidorah like flying over the city, and the way his heads are moving—I don't know what it was, but the way he was moving right there, it looked exactly like how he did in the old movies, where where you can tell, like, oh, he. he the little models just being propped up by spring <laughs> and the heads are just bob are just bobbing around. But the way he was moving, it, it looked exactly like that. And again, it's a blink and you'll miss it moment, but I, I caught that and it's it, it's just little tiny moments like that that just really reaffirmed me that my god, Michael Doherty was having the time of his life directing mm-hmm. directing this movie. Yeah, it definitely shows on screen. 
Um, but I mean, come on, like it definitely shows. And as a result, you have a blast watching this movie. Um, speaking, going back to mythology, um, I like the, cause we mentioned that, um, you mentioned the scene leading up to Godzilla bursting out of the water with the atomic breath. Um, I like the idea that like, so when they go find him, cause he's rejuvenating after he in, being heavily incapacitated by the oxygen destroyer they find him in like this old 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 ancient civilization like the ruins under all underwater and you kind of wonder like the history behind this ancient civilization and it kind of leads to like this is like potential like prequel bait kind of like i would love to have seen like godzilla back in like ancient earth um being worshipped by all these like um ancient people like that would have been fascinating to see and like that image of him like just lying at the top of his altar and whatnot just resting and then like it 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 does lead so spoilers ken watanabe this is his last appearance in the series um he takes this it's a weird twist of irony and i mentioned this in our godzilla 2014 review that um he so like sarazawa in the original film he uses the oxygen destroyer to kill Godzilla. In this movie, he sets off a nuke and kills himself to restore Godzilla. Um, and he just like, he knows he's not coming back. So he just takes off his helmet. He knows the radiation is hi- highly like bad. He takes off his helmet and his glove. He puts his hand up to Godzilla and he goes in Japanese, goodbye, old friend. Or as he or as he says in Japanese, "Sarba, tomoe," and the nuke just goes off, and then it leads to that brilliant moment of Godzilla just rising out of the water. And then, um, speaking of, you mentioned that like a lot of this movie is based off of Showa. There is that one moment where it looks like it's um, was it Godzilla versus Destroyer that was the final movie in the Heisei era, um, where yeah. he's like, where he's just like because it's Godzilla. He's unfortunately just consumed. He's going to have a meltdown and he's just going to die from like having too much radiation building up in him. So like it, during the final climax of the film, when he defeats Ghidorah, I was thinking of that moment, thinking of that movie where like Godzilla is going to have a meltdown. Right. And um, obviously it's his burning form and he's infused with Mothra's like energies. Um, I thought that was a fat, I thought that was a great callback. Oh yeah, the Heisei. Yeah, this movie is fan servicey as fuck, but I would say it's the best kind of fan service where it, uh, you know, because I I think uh, some of the worst cases of fan service are the recent Star Wars movies where it uh, it's just obnoxious member berries shoved in your face left and right, but there's little to no substance behind it. But here, uh, I feel it's fan service done more correctly, where it's uh, it's not as uh, it's more subtle, and it uh, it's one of those things where once you catch it, you're uh, you're a little more surprised because 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 I feel Godzilla uh, uh, Godzilla kind of a uh, nostalgic elements or fan moments you know there you have to be 
a bigger fan uh, to get into the nitty gritty of that uh, because Godzilla isn't as universal as Star Wars. And I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm fucking tired. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but no, it brings up a good point, though, that like you you want to do if you're going to do fan service, make it serve the story and uh, make it and don't just shoehorn in, make it more. Um, I was going to say not malleable, but make it more um, genuine, genuine. Yes, genuine. And it feels just right. Um, and I think they do a really good job here, especially with the music. So let's talk about the music for this movie. So Alexander Dupla does not return, but in this place we have the excellent Bear McCurry coming in. And Bear McCurry is, in my opinion, kind of an underrated film score, like um, like film and television composer. So... Um, if anyone's seen the remake of Ballastar Galactica, that was him who did the score for that. Um, he's done a whole, he's done a bunch of like uh, scores. Um, I'm looking at some, I'm looking at some of his stuff here. So, um, oh, he did stop up 3d did not realize that. Um, um, and I'm just realizing this, Jeff, um, I know you're a giant James Rolfe fan. Did you know he composed the score for the angry video game nerd movie? Yes, because I've told you this. <laughs> did he? Did you? I, I honestly don't remember. Um, but that's neat. I, I I like that. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, he's not. He doesn't do a lot of film scores, but he's definitely done more TV scores. Yeah, he's done um, the term. He's done the Sarah Connor, Con, Sarah Connor Chronicles for the Terminator. Um, he's done the real Terminator three, by the way. <laughs> he's done. Um, uh caprica he's done human target at least the first season and he's actually doing the walking dead surprisingly so um, yeah his uh his score for uh uh for the child's play remake was one of the most unique themes i've i've heard in a while and uh it, it definitely because the movie itself was just kind of all right but his music helped give that movie an entire uh like a personality of its own. Mm. So yeah, he's a, he's definitely one of those composers uh, that I think are the best kind to where whatever, uh, like when they put their all into a specific score, it elevates the, the movie as a whole, because King of the monsters, especially if, if the score wasn't as grandiose and epic as it was, I mean, I would still enjoy the movie a lot, but I would probably dock a point or two off of it. But because Bear McCreary is not only, you know, uh, reaffirming all these classic themes, but his original scores are are excellent. Like that, that creepy chant he creates for Ghidorah. That shit's wonderful. Mm hmm. And like I like the I like the music at the very end, right before the credits, of like so like when Godzilla's, like all the Titans are bowing down to Godzilla. I like how the music plays there, and it just leads into the into the credits. Um, that end credit song is probably one of the most fucking awesome things I've ever heard. Yeah. So it's called God's. It's just called Godzilla. Apparently, it's a remake 
I didn't realize it's actually a cover of a Blue Oyster Cult song. Have you not heard um, the original song? No, I've never. No, Dude, I just found this out. I, I I just found this out. I've never. I, I didn't realize this, and yeah, I'm it on. Uh, it was on like Guitar Hero Two, I think. And I oh really? I rocked the shit out of that song. I'm gonna have to listen to that. But like the version released here, so I didn't realize until right about almost before recording this that the singer is Serge Tankian of System of a Down. <laughs> and, I, and I've and i been listening to this song for two years, and I had no idea who this was. Although, I, admittedly, his voice did sound a little familiar, but I didn't really think about it. But, like, this is the same guy who goes, like, wake up, why should you put on a little makeup? <laughs> Chop Suey is one of my favorites. That's a song you want to, like, fight to, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> that's a Yeah, that's a good fight song. But, yeah, the song for this, uh, the song, the rendition that they do for this movie it's like an epic orchestral rock ballad and I loved every single minute of it. Like, so I had this thing for a while. So after, after listening to, um, the last track on Alan's Avestri's Avengers score, uh, Avengers Endgame score, I go immediately to the song or whatnot. And it just, it's just an excellent, like, uh, after credits <laughs> bonus. I'm just like, yes, epic music all around. I'm like, I absolutely love the I absolutely love the song. Um, it, it's, it's epic, and I cannot believe I did not know it was a cover of a Blue Oyster Cult song. And now I need to now I need to go listen to that rendition. I feel pretty bad for that. <laughs> Jesus Christ! But um, so yeah, we mentioned or we we're gonna we mentioned earlier. So obviously, Kong. I mean Kong. Oh my God! <laughs> we mentioned that Godzilla wins, right? And so the movie ends with all the Titans bowing down to him, and so. Um, and that's how the movie ends. But I was really, yeah, I was surprised by how people aren't really like this movie gets a really interesting reputation for how divisive it is. I don't know because ultimately, apparently, it it was considered a box office di- disappointment. Um, yeah, so it that, makes me wonder like why did it not do so well at the box office, considering well, how epic this movie is. Well, for one, I think they started their marketing way too early. Because uh, I think the first trailers came out, God, probably like nine plus months before um, before the movie came out. Uh, mm. Usually, usually a pretty healthy window is within within six months uh, to start um, ramping up your uh, the the major marketing with with trailers and everything. Uh, so within that time, a lot of uh, you know they they. They turned out a bunch of trailers because they were going all in with with the marketing, and uh, the marketing campaign around this movie was great. Uh, it uh, it helped get me a lot more excited. But in the process, they kind of overdid it, and it resulted in showing a little too much. And even though um, uh, I heard a pretty interesting point. Uh, I wish I remembered where I heard this from. Because uh, I, I know it was on a... Uh, I know it was on a pretty good podcast. Um, so part of why Godzilla King of the Monsters didn't uh, do as well was even though, uh, you know, these are Godzilla's most iconic, uh, uh, you know, uh, counterparts. Iconic, cur- iconic like... Uh, supporting cast, if you will, like yeah, and uh, so even though they're uh, you know they're pretty uh, well recognizable, they're not 
universally known and at face value maybe wouldn't be able to attract a common moviegoer but when you have a movie called Godzilla versus Kong I think that has a lot more universal appeal because everyone knows when about King Kong fighting Godzilla everyone knows who King Kong is standalone everyone knows who Godzilla is standalone but not everyone knows who Ghidorah is standalone not everyone knows who Mothra or Rodan are and so so even though I'm I'm grateful that we got uh, you know, a big budget adaptation of basically a Showa era Godzilla film that was made with tremendous care and attention. I think the way uh, I think the marketing did a dirty little bit. It was a very crowded summer. Uh, so I think because uh, I, I don't think Endgame was out for super long. Uh, so it was probably still consuming uh consuming some box office numbers around that point. Yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, so it's, there was definitely a lot more going going up against it where it threw into question the future of the MonsterVerse. And and I'm, I'm honestly happy that Godzilla vs. Kong was already in production before this, uh, this movie came out because if it wasn't, I would, I'd be worried that Godzilla versus Kong would just get thrown, tossed into development hell for for many years. And luckily, would... luckily that's not the case. We're yes, it's it's good to see that this is finally happening. And... Absolutely. So, I think uh, even though it was considered a financial misstep, I think I think this movie's been pretty well embraced by uh, by Godzilla fans. And because uh, and actually one of the uh, one of the coolest clips I've seen out there was uh, this movie made its premiere at G Fest, which is uh, which basically is Godzilla Comic Con, mm. and there's a someone filmed you know just the uh, the live reaction of of the crowd seeing this movie for the first time, and their enthusiasm is infectious uh, during the whole uh, during the end credit song. You know, everyone's singing to uh, to the blue to the blue oyster cult song, and it's it's wonderful to hear that enthusiasm, that passion, and it's uh, it's definitely one of the uh, better fan bases out there, I think. And the um, and I don't know, I I think it's just because Godzilla fans have had to wait so much longer for these uh for these uh for these icons to be treated with this this amount of care and care and respect and uh you know because i grew up in a time when these movies were universally laughed at and i kind of had to stick up for them in a way even though you know a lot of them were cheesy schlock and it was hard to hard to defend but I always did, and to see uh, to see a lot of people, uh, you know, get excited for for movies like this, it's uh, it, it's a very good feeling. So, even despite my gripes with that I've had with 
each uh you know each individual movie i'm fucking grateful that they got made to begin with i'm happy that you know all the essential monsters have been able to get a uh get a get a respectful uh adaptation into this universe i'm happy that we got to see godzilla fight Ghidorah again i'm excited that we got to see mothra portrayed for the first time in uh in in a u.s film same with rodan and because any one of these movies could have gone so horribly horribly wrong and even though they're all rough around the edges they're at least getting the essentials right so even if godzilla versus kong has a terrible script and i don't give a shit about the characters as long as you do the monsters justice i will i will live with a shitty script <laughs> sounds about i guess that sounds about i guess that's sounds to me like that's your final summation of this movie in this case so um for me um overall i i pretty much said it already um i think this movie is a fucking blast um yes absolutely despite despite all the despite all the nitpickiness despite a very stereotypical plot um i i enjoy that we actually have some human characters for a change that are that naturally progress the plot um i like i like that we have the monsters that they're being treated respectfully with with much care it's very clear as jeff pointed out that um michael darity who directed this very much cares about these care about these creatures um bear mccurry's like use of original themes and and how they're incorporated into the main score is right off right perfect on the bat visually this movie it looks stunning again as usual um par for the course for these movies um and i i enjoy how uh it's it's made with a lot of care and love and i know a lot of like mainstream audiences wouldn't really care but at least for us who know godzilla quite a bit and want to see this all done right with perfect um love and admiration i think they pull it off flawlessly um rough around the edges for sure but um i don't think this movie deserves all the hate it gets i think this is an absolute fun time and if you're able to shut your brain off um for at for at least certain moments and then turn your brain back on for the right moments i think king of the monsters is quite a fun time i think i don't know how you feel jeff but yeah i mean um, i i would think in terms of uh in terms of adapting adapting a very faithful Godzilla film that uh, that gets that it, it, it checks the, the basic boxes off. Uh, you know, Godzilla, Ghidorah, Rodan, Mothra, uh, some human characters, scientists, uh, messy plot, whatever. If you've ever seen a Godzilla movie, you'll feel right at home with this. It sounds about right. Yeah, I, I agree. This is I think King of the Monsters, in my opinion, I think it's the best film in the trilogy so far. And I think um I think we're definitely 
curious to see what happens in Godzilla versus Kong. If you'd like to know more about our thoughts on God's on who we think the winner is going to be, uh, go back an episode to Kong Skull Island and listen to the end of that, and you're going to hear us ramble upon like how we think that movie's going to go. But um, so yeah, that's going to be the end of our look into the legendary MonsterVerse, and I cannot wait to see how Kong versus I mean, I fuck me. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, I'm tired too. I all I'm gonna say is I cannot wait to see how Godzilla vs. Kong turns out. Jesus Christ on a stick. Okay. <clears throat> so um I think that's gonna do it for this installment of Two Nerds in a podcast. Um so yeah, be sure to follow us on our socials. Be sure to check out our Instagram page, TNAPCast. That's T-N-A-A-P-C-A-S-T. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube page. Um, if you want to leave comments and likes on our video, on our podcast, that's the place to go. Um, and if you follow us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to uh, give us a five star review. Uh, it definitely will help us out in the long run. But I think that's gonna do it overall. And like I said, looking forward to Godzilla versus Kong. So uh, this has been two two skis in a podcast. Dear Lord, <laughs> this is Eric. This is Jeff, and I'm going the fuck to sleep. Me too. Have a good one, everyone. See you around. Stay shiny. Bye. Next level. Next level. Next level. Next level.